Welcome to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese. Composer Laura Cartman wrote music for Sony's EverQuest 2 and Untold Legends Dark Kingdom. She also scored Kung Fu Panda 2 and worked extensively with the Chinese instrument called the Arhu. And there's something else special about Laura. She studied with American composer and mathematician Milton Babbitt. And upon his passing in January 2011, she completed a documentary about Babbitt and his influence on contemporary music. So on this episode of Top Score, we not only talk about Laura's work with video game music, but we also spend some time talking about Milton Babbitt. You can learn more about Babbitt as well as the other composers we'll discuss in the article that accompanies this episode on classicalmpr.org. have worked with some of my personal heroes and without question some of the giants in music like Nadia Boulanger, William Bolcom, Leslie Bassett, and Milton Babbitt. Can you speak a bit about your personal journey in composition? Well, I mean, it's so funny that you mentioned, I realize that I gravitate towards teachers whose names be, uh, last names begin with B. So I, I don't know what that means, <laughs> if anything. But um, I started composing when I was a little kid. Uh, my mother uh, was a painter and a sculptor, and she always thought music was the highest art. And so she decided when she was pregnant that I would be a composer. Wow. And uh, I guess I'm just not the rebellious sort, so I, I, I followed suit. And... Um, you know, I really credit her with a lot of um, a lot of stuff, and she exposed me a tremendous amount of music. She was really eclectic in her tastes. I remember the record player in her studio, and it had, you know, West Side Story, and then Wes Montgomery, and Miles Davis, and, you know, Ella Fitzgerald, and mm. Stravinsky, and Villalobos, and I mean, she just had that kind of a, a musical palette. So uh, she was a, a flamenco dancer as well as a painter, and so she would play wow. a lot of flamenco, too. So I just was listening to a lot of music. Um, from the time I was a very, very young child. And then I started composing when I was about seven. And I never kind of went through the, you know, what am I going to be when I grow up phase because I always kind of knew. And I started serious study early on. And then I went to... um, Interlochen National Music Camp, and that's how I wound up at Michigan with William Balcom and Leslie Bassett. And um, I, I spent a summer with Nadia Boulanger uh, at Fontainebleau outside of, um, outside of Paris, which was a truly life-changing experience in, in about a hundred ways. That's where the American school is, right? Or Yes, that's the, well, is it still there? But yes, that's where I studied the American school. And it was pretty crazy because at that point, of course, I'd never met any women composers. And there was Nadia Boulanger, and she had a two women there. Mademoiselle, who that's all she was. I don't know if she had a name, but she was Mademoiselle. <laughs> and she did ear training. And also that summer was a woman named Louise Talma, who um, was an American living there who had been schooled in the um, in the Boulanger system. And she kind of took me under her wing. And it she was hard. I mean, these people, this was not a cuddly experience, okay? Mm. You would go there, and if you made a mistake, you were made fun of. And, I mean, it was, it was like master class. 
class or something. It was nuts, but wow. it was incredible. And it was, a, for me, a window into a kind of a rigorous training that then I continued with William Balcom that next year mm-hmm. and then with Leslie Bassett. And then I came back out here for summer and worked with another bee, Elaine Barkin, who taught at UCLA. And she told me that she thought I should study with Milton. So when I was uh, finished with my undergrad, I moved to New York and looked him up and... Um, and I applied to Juilliard, and I was accepted, and I started doing my graduate work with him. You completed a documentary about him. He passed away in January. Can you talk a bit about how that project came into your life? Yeah, it's, you know, Milton and I remain. It's hard for me to believe he's not with us. It really, really is. But we remain very close um, over the years, and he was he was always interested in everything that I was doing. And uh, two years ago, I moved to New York for a brief period of time. I met up with an old friend of mine, Robert Hilferty, and he said, look, I want to show you the Milton documentary. And I had seen it. Or at least maybe I had seen it, but I know that he had filmed me in it because there I was, my younger self, sitting at a Chinese restaurant scene. Um, And he showed me the documentary, and we had a very serious discussion about it. So I said to him, look, I I think that you really need to do this, this, and this and and finish the piece up. And he had been laboring over this piece for years and years and just was kind of unable to finish it. And I think there were a lot of reasons behind that. But I gave him these notes, and uh, we got together a couple more times that winter, and he tragically died that summer. And an email went out and said, is there anybody who can finish this? Mm-hmm. And I uh, said, you know, I think I can. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I brought in um, an editor who I worked with for a couple of weeks. And it, it's funny because I brought in a very young editor who was um, a friend of the family. And, and I thought she would just like kind of just, you know, take the notes that I had and that Robert and I had discussed and clean it up a bit. Well, she wound up restructuring the whole thing. And then we went back to um, to some old cuts of Robert's and really shaped the thing. And I think shaped it in a way that Robert would have been very happy with. But I we did shape it in a way that Milton was very happy with. Um, mm. I showed it to him um, and he was really thrilled. And I really wanted to do it as a gift to him as well as I felt that it was something that needed to be seen. And there's so much. I mean, my God, the documentary is just one hour's worth of hours and hours and hours of important interviews. And, I mean, it's just a treasure trove that I I happen to have my hands on. And uh, when he died, um, NPR called me for confirmation of his death. And I said, look, I have this thing. Mm -hmm. And they said, can we premiere it in two days? And I said, let's go. It was so astonishing to see the response that we got and how people were healed, not only from Milton's death, which of course was not tragic but sad, but Robert's death, which was tragic, and how at that moment 
being able to put that thing, you know, into the world and into the internet in a way and sort of bypass the festival circuit and bypass normal distribution channels. I mean, it was really like, it was a big lesson to me um, about sharing art. It really is just a wonderful story and it makes, it sheds new light on a man that I knew was so important in the trajectory of 20th century music that, uh, you know, I, I didn't know him as a person, of course, and, and it's just very touching to learn more about him that way. So thank you so much for doing something that needed to be done. Well, I think Milton was fundamentally, completely and utterly misunderstood. Not only misunderstood as a human being, where, where as you can see from the documentary, he was warm and witty and yes. funny and sweet and sassy and all the things <laughs> that he was. But all of that was is in his music as well. Mm-hmm. That's the thing is if you just take a little bit of time with Milton and, and with his music and just listen with an open ear and an open heart and listen to it from the perspective, I think, of jazz and American mm-hmm. music. I mm-hmm. think if you listen for those things, you hear it in a very different way. He wrote such a really amazing article about listening. Who cares if you listen? I mean, we, we've studied that in grad school, and it's a fantastic essay on listening and understanding 20th century music. And you know that that, I mean, as, as you probably know, it's well reported, but that was not his title. That was a title right. that, was, that was imposed by the magazine to kind of, um, you know, make it a little bit more, you know, sexy. Um, <laughs> He was just a great, 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 wonderful man, and and it's it's a real loss. You know, I think it's also a loss um, in serious intellectual thought, and and I think that that it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter whether you're writing video game music or uh, you know music for theater or pop music or jazz or concert music. It doesn't matter that that thinking hard is a really good thing, and challenging yourself intellectually and challenging others intellectually is a really good thing. And that's what he stood for, I think. And I, I think that that's what makes me the most sad. I don't know how that goes on. You know, I, I hope it does. I hope it does in the students and the people that loved him. <laughs> written in pretty much every media genre possible. So how how did you get, so we talked about how you got started in composition. How did you get your foot in the door media-wise? Well, guess what? I was living in New York, and guess who called me? Milton Babbitt. See, it all ties together. <laughs> there you go. And he said, I have a fantastic opportunity for you. And I thought that he'd found me a university position because that's what I wanted. Um, uh, and he said, I'm going to nominate you to go to the Sundance Institute. And I thought, well, having grown up in Southern California and my dad is a, a, is a cardiologist and he, he had a lot of celebrities in his practice, I thought, well, 
that's not exactly <laughs> where I see my life going, but what the heck, I'll get out of New York for a few weeks in the summer. And that was the late 80s. I went to Sundance, and I pretty much flipped because um, not only did I love the at the, now that I knew really what scoring to, to motion picture was about, but also at that point, that was kind of the beginning of, um, of MIDI technology, which is musical instrumental d- digital interface, which is basically computers talking to synthesizers. Mm-hmm. And of course, Milton had done a tremendous amount of work in this, but but not 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 digitally. And, and he, by the way, was always really encouraging of me, um, not only doing commercial music, as, as is evidenced by that story, but also really um, learning about technology. So I went to Sundance, and it pretty much turned my head around. I mean, I, I saw... The way that computers and uh, instruments could work together, and I just thought this is the future of music. This is what I want to do, and I started slowly but surely working in television here, and um, and so that was my first kind of, you know, foray into um, into different kinds of media. And then you know, as things go uh, with one's career, one thing led to another, and I wound up being a busy person and and doing a lot of television work. And one of those jobs, which was a really interesting sci-fi series for. Um, a showtime called Odyssey 5 caught the attention of Steven Spielberg, and then he hired me to do Taken, which was a huge um, 20-hour miniseries for the sci-fi station, and that was loads of fun, and I I, uh, I used an orchestra, and uh, now you see you've got me on Milton. Uh, Milton told me that he and Sylvia listened to the whole thing together, and his big comment was, who was that French horn player? You know, as only Milton would say, that was a very good French horn player. And then that led me to video games, because um, after that, that caught the attention of the people at Sony, and they were doing a new... Uh, version of their EverQuest franchise, and so I did EverQuest 2, and um, and that kind of launched uh, launched me into video games, which of course was a, uh, you know, at that point, like nine years ago, you know, really beginning, and uh, it still is in some ways beginning. Speaking of the the two of the most recent games you've worked on, EverQuest 2 and Untold Legends Dark Kingdom, both uh, are Sony projects, and they right. both have just epic storylines. How does that affect your composition process? Well, I tell you, with EverQuest 2, I basically decided that I would use it as a really amazing way to explore the orchestra. You know, I had a really I had access to a really big orchestra and so I took out all my scores, you know, from Ludoslavsky Concerto for Orchestra, Shostakovich symphonies, um, Britain, you know, I would get a, a kind of a vague description from the game developer, which would be, I mean I remember one was fascist Babylonian. You know, <laughs> which I thought, 
Groovy. Okay, I can do that. <laughs> and so that was, to me, Shostakovich. Yes. <laughs> I kind of found something as, you know, and then did something like that. And the great thing about that particular score is because at that point, that score was not particularly interactive with the player. Basically, I could do what I wanted for as long as I wanted. So I wrote pieces. I wrote these three to five minute compositions. And honestly, that and Untold Legends um, were really the closest thing to concert music uh, in terms of my commercial career that I've that I've done. The, my most recent game, which I just finished, which is coming out in a couple of weeks, Kung Fu Panda 2, is a different story. That that's a highly interactive score, and um, and one that you know that that uses technology. You know, I would say, like not a crazy advanced technology, but an interactive technology nonetheless. So that really, you know, it, it's much more closely um, connected with gameplay. listened to the the music from Taken. I listened to EverQuest 2. I listened to Untold Legends. And it did sound like you could be sitting in a symphony hall listening to an orchestra perform this music. Not to say that other video game scores don't sound like that, because there are many that do. But there's just a difference in the way you write. And it, and it stood out. Well, I appreciate that. I, I think it takes us back... To the to the conversation that you know about Milton, which which you know you thought was just didn't really relate, but it it relates really really carefully to all of my work because I do approach everything for better or worse with intellectual rigor, and I think people can take it. Listen, when I um, first came on board to score EverQuest two, I asked them to do a little poll of what their players were listening to. They were listening to, you know, film scores, good film scores, John Williams, you know, people who are just tremendous. But they were listening to classical music as well. So I felt that there was a, an appetite and a tolerance for this. And there is in video games. That's what makes that world so interesting, I think, that really you can write sophisticated orchestral music for video games. And I say this with love uh, for the for the film and television world, and get away with it. That <laughs> <laughs> they like it, they're happy. So it's 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 really fun. I love I love scoring video games. I 
don't feel like there's a big difference between my work for the concert hall and for video games and for television and for, you know, theater or political commercials or anything that I do. For me, it's one musical personality that just kind of moves in between um, different things. Now, obviously, if I, I did a, 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 sh- a show for the own network, Extraordinary Moms, I'm not going to be writing modernist Shostakovich when, <laughs> you know, we're talking about, you know, these incredible women who, you know, are raising children. It's, it's obviously sure. would not be appropriate. No no fascist Babylonians there. No, no fascist <laughs> Babylonian there. But, you know, one has to mitigate those tendencies. But, you know, I wrote some really nice music for that show as well. So Untold Legends, I mean, this is a funny story. Um Everybody decided that we all wanted to use a chorus, but I absolutely could not stomach the idea of using a chorus singing Latin mass. Not that I don't love the Latin mass, <laughs> sure, but it's been done so many times in video games. So I decided, well, you know, I need to find a language that nobody will recognize, but could still be fun and interesting and relevant. And so I found the t- this text in Middle Scots, and it's the same text that actually was uh, went to make the movie uh, uh, Braveheart. So um, I, I found this text, and I really loved it. And I went to Oxford and worked with a scholar there, a Middle Scots scholar, who translated it for me and told me what the meanings were, and I said it. And then we went to uh, – she gave me, uh, you know, phonetics um, that I could teach the choir in Prague, and then we were recorded this whole um, kind of anti-war requiem in Middle Scots. Wow. <laughs> so it's it's pretty groovy. Are you much of a gamer? Well, um, I'd like to say that I am. Basically, when I did EverQuest, I uh, I went down there. I said I said to them, look, I've never gamed. I don't know anything about it. And they said, no, no, no worries. You know, we'll get you gaming, whatever. <laughs> I went down there and I, you know, I took on a. Uh, a character and I went out and I was instantly killed and every time (laughs) every time I would go out I would be instantly killed and they kind of looked at me and said you know maybe this isn't your thing and it's like you know Maybe if you could just tell me what you need musically, I, I can help you with that. Let's just say that I'm not a successful gamer. <laughs> that works. Okay. Did, did you even try Untold Legends then? <laughs> I Listen, when I was doing Untold Legends, they weren't even trying Untold Legends. I mean, it was a PS3 launch, and oh, every, we were so behind, and so everybody was just like, write the music and make the art, and hopefully it'll all come together at, at some time. So the answer is no, I did not. I, I have zero <laughs> skill. I wish I could because I think it'd be fun. I mean, I'd like to get into Wii and some of those other kinds of things. Um, Listen, gaming is the future of entertainment, period. I mean, I think that that's what everyone is going to be doing to an extent. And I think it even relates to concert music. I think that it's about letting people feel that they have a sense of authorship. Um, I think that's what a a public and an audience wants. And I guess as artists, we need to guide that authorship so that it's 
you know, good and it's and it's thinking and it's interesting. So other than actually trying to play the game, what did you find to be the challenges writing for games compared to the other media outlets that you've written for? Well, I tell you, there are different challenges in everything. I think that writing those particular games, EverQuest and Untold Legends, there were no challenges in the sense that I could write what I wanted and everybody was happy and Mm -hmm. I could write. There were no timings. Now, with Kung Fu Panda, there were challenges because we were really, really doing um, making it interactive. So the cues had to be exactly a minute long. And then we had to do intros and outros and everything had to be programmed so things worked with different things. And that was really groovy because it was kind of like doing this musical jigsaw puzzle. It was was sort of composing things in parts and in building blocks that then would literally then be assembled in a number of different ways – depending on how the game was played. And so I, I don't know that I would call it a challenge. Oh, I guess it was a challenge. It was, it was fun. It was different, and it was, it was more restrictive. But I think restrictions are good. This is what makes a good composer, and, and we're used to it, and, and we like it. I like it. The challenge is you're really directly supporting a character. You've got to figure out where the music starts and where it stops, and you've got to write something that's meaningful and moving, or do do what it needs to do, without getting in the way of the um, of the picture. I, I think with video games, at this point, at least, the more is the merrier, and they you know they like a lot of um, music. I guess with Kung Fu Panda, since it's a kids game, at first. Maybe I was a little aggressive in the music, and it needed to be toned down a bit. Um, so that was something we went through, but it was fun. And we, you know, Kung Fu Panda was groovy because, of course, um, I scored it for for um, Chinese instruments, and mm-hmm. so I got to work with some really phenomenal musicians and and um, do something that had that flair to it. What did you listen to to get prepared for Kung Fu Panda Two? Well, listen to the score for Kung Fu Panda, but I also <laughs> listen to a lot of I listen to a lot of Chinese music, and I listen to you know uh, Tan Dun and um, traditional uh, Chinese music, and uh, you know I had done another score um, that used Chinese instruments, so I had sort of done that homework. Mm-hmm. I knew fundamentally how things worked. And then I worked with the players so that, you know, often uh, I would write something that was just insanely ridiculous and unplayable. <laughs> and so Karen Hahn is this amazing um, Arhu player who lives here in Los Angeles who's played on, you know, many, many features, John Williams, everything. Um, she would come and she would beat me up and then I would make some changes and mm-hmm. we would fix it. So mm-hmm. I guess there there was a challenge in creating action music for the Arhu because it's, it's, it's essentially – a legato, a very melodic, uh, beautiful um, instrument. Mm-hmm. So to have it playing, you know, but it's not, it's not really uh, arhuistic, if that's a word. But but we made it work, and she was a good sport. Speaking again about EverQuest 2 and Untold Legends, uh, you know, EverQuest 2 is an MMORPG. So it does not have a beginning. I guess it has a beginning if you first start, but there's no end. 
That's right. But Untold Legends has a beginning and an end. Kung Fu Panda 2, I imagine, will have a beginning and an end. Mm -hmm. You said you could write whatever you want, but did that at all affect how you thought about writing for EverQuest 2? With EverQuest 2, no. I mean, it, it, it was just creating a feeling for these various places. I craved drama. And I tried to build it in the music. But the, the funny thing about those games is that you just have to hope that things hit at remotely the right time mm-hmm. um, because people just play them. Um, and, and you can't write enough music for the for the MMOs. You know, you just mm-hmm. there's just not enough music to be written because people play them hours and hours every week. But, yes, for Kung Fu Panda, for Untold Legends, you know, there was a sense of scale and scope. And, and you knew that the big boss fight was going to be at the end and that had to be the biggest thing. And so, yes, there was that arc and structure. But it's not as, you know, direct as scoring a, a television thing or, or a feature, mm-hmm. you know, where you see it, where you know the dramatic arc, where there's something that's been written and you're supporting that, you know, that agenda. I'll, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm not an MMO player. So uh, are you a game player? Oh, my gosh. Are you a gamer? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm you're a, a big gamer. gamer. Yeah. You're a gamer who's who's um, one of her idols is Milton Babbitt. Yes. I love that. <laughs> yes, awesome. I am. I'm a classical Great. musician through and through, and and my other job is being a classical host on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> I just think you know, look, it all plays into each other. I think I think that's that's the major thing, and I think that you know, for even the sort of the philosophy of gaming, even though I'm not a gamer myself, has really infiltrated, you know, my thinking about even you know the most. I don't want to say esoteric, but certainly um, intellectual um, concert music work that I do. So, so it's it's definitely had an effect. Well, thank you so very much. Oh, thank you! What a pleasure talking to you. You've been listening to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese. Our technical director is Sam Keenan, and we had additional support from Rob Byers. Our next episode of Top Score is a preview show about the games coming out this fall that promise to have the best music. I'll tell you who's writing it and why it will be great. As always, you can follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at Top Score Podcast. And if you've enjoyed Top Score, we'd love to hear your comments at classicalmpr.org slash topscore. Put that at the end. I swear to God, dude. I will find a new technical director so fast. <laughs>